Welcome to episode 74 of the Source Podcast. This is the Week in Review. My name is Michael Crutcher and I can tell Jordan McDonald is still on a high from the coronation. What gives it away? (laughs) (laughs) You've been bouncing around the office all week, just on a high from... What a weekend. We'll come to that. We will. We'll get to it. Can you tell I'm being sarcastic or... Uh, yeah, I reckon. Okay, but we'll get to it. Can't have a week in review without the coronation. You can have a week in review, review without the federal budget though. Yeah. We can sure definitely can. do that. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll give that a miss. And the <laughs> last time you'll hear the words federal budget on this podcast is right now. Now, Jordan, the most interesting column in the nation's daily newspapers is the rear window column in the financial review. So rear window starts on the back page of the Fin Review and it's pretty much a must read for anyone in corporate Australia. It's a bit of a, uh, it's a column that looks at different things happening in corporate Australia, different personalities. Um, I know rear window reasonably well because it had a cartoon of me with a bomb on my desk uh, the day before News Corp decided it would no longer had me as editor of the Courier Mail. Ah, okay. Not a bad cartoon either. I've still got a copy of it. Okay. Fortunately, Rear Window was uh, fair to me at the time. That was almost 10 years ago. A journalist called Joe Aston was the main author of the column at that time. Now, Joe Aston is still the main author of Rear Window, and he's been calling it as he sees it for that decade plus. He's even criticised journalists in his own paper, so Joe doesn't pull many punches. He's got a combination I think any editor would love, certainly when I was an editor, they were things I look for in a uh, gossip columnist, fearless in his targets. He's usually very thorough and well-informed and he has a very good turn of phrase. He's the only journalist in Australia in in commercial media, it would seem, who will take on Jerry Harvey. Now, Jerry, as you know, Jordan, the key figure in Harvey Norman. Yes, yes, Yep, who's advertising is very common in most Australian papers. It is. And Aston has been particularly critical of Qantas CEO <laughs> Alan Joyce for some time. Oh, yes. This is a long-term Qantas CEO who will retire from that position in November. And Qantas hasn't enjoyed it at all. Now, keep in mind, the reason we're talking about this today will become apparent. The, the Fin Review has a commercial de- deal with Qantas to make its digital content available to Qantas customers. Okay. Now, we're talking about this this week because it was widely reported earlier this week that Qantas has decided to ban distribution of the Fin Review in its lounges, across its Wi-Fi system and on its aircraft. Okay. Now, the stories that came out about this topic mentioned that Qantas had in 2014 pulled significant advertising revenue from the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age and they'd banned the papers from mm. their lounges and aircraft because they were unhappy with things the paper was writing. So one of the paper's senior reporters at that time called for Alan Joyce to resign. Now this week, in response to these stories, Nine's Managing Director of Publishing said, and I quote, we've been here before with Qantas, and as always, our editorial independence won't be affected by commercial pressure. He goes on to say, the vast majority of people I speak to think Joe Aston's Qantas coverage is <laughs> tough but fair. <laughs> okay. So, oh, what yeah. has Joe Aston written about Qantas that it seems has so incensed Qantas? Well, basically, he's accused Qantas of price gouging, failing their customers and not acknowledging that the federal government's support came their way during the COVID pandemic and was very helpful to them. 
So this has been going on for some time. People who read Rear Window know that Joe Aston's thoughts on Qantas go back a long way. Yep. So if you want a taste of Aston's writing, there's a lot to choose from, <clears throat> especially since Joyce announced that he would retire this year. It's all worth a read if you have access to the Fin Review. But let's go back and have a taste this Tuesday, Jordan, as Joe Aston pondered the apparent banning of the financial review from Qantas. Jordan, yes. what did he have to say about this in rear window? Uh, he said... Joyce is particularly sensitive about any threats to his hero story because he is at a a delicate juncture in his life. His borrowed power is evaporating and the countdown is on and he is transitioning to Mr. Altruism, Mr. Community. Joyce is seeking moral elevation right as his balloon is losing air. The sad fact is that Alan Joyce is emotionally ill-equipped to cope with the dead-set legend complex falling apart upon close public inspection. It is absolutely devastating to him, after 15 years of almost uninterrupted adulation, to be seen for what he really is. Just another overpaid, insecure, unexceptional businessman who believes his own BS. Just another CEO who did to his company what was best for him. Joyce has sustained the deepest wound to his internal dialogue and his rage is like a wildfire. It goes to any opportunity, it knows no, pro- no proportion, it descends to every pettiness. He probably, probably realised how silly purging the financial review would make him look but his ego defence overrides any calculation of consequences. Luckily, Qantas isn't sophisticated enough to lose my bags on purpose and to ban me from flights. They would need a customer service relationship management system that isn't held together by rubber bands and twine. Instead, he'll just have to slip salt in my sugar brown... Sorry, in my sugar bowl. That's... A <laughs> far east. That's a pretty decent bake. That's... Yeah, that's a roast. <laughs> so, that's real um, hot. <laughs> that's about as blistering as it gets. But the question for our podcast here is, do these bands or boycotts work? And this is where Qantas has made a very poor decision. Because the whole point of censoring, Mm. and it's the last resort, it really is, if you're going to do it, you try to ensure you'll make a situation better. Yeah. Okay? Crisis communications is built on risk assessment. If we make this move, what's the risk? If we make that move, what's the risk Mm. with that? That's crisis communications really broken down. In this case, Qantas has made a move that has attracted the wrath of media who don't like being censored. Now, even News Corp, the great rival of the nine papers, published stories this week expressing their dislike of Qantas's apparent move. So there you go. Even the company that hates you the most comes to your aid. That's what media do. All right. That means a whole bunch of people who would never have seen Joe Aston's words in the Fin Review have since become aware of them. So Qantas effectively ensured that the arrow sent the way of their chairman were now, oh, sorry, the CEO, sorry, were now seen by so many more eyes. Mm-hmm. Clearly a poor choice. And it makes Aston's rear window column the talk of many in corporate Australia and it makes it more anticipated than ever. Now I'll end this piece 
with Aston's assessment of Joyce's reason for Qantas deciding to ban the Fin Review because <laughs> what's, what's the reason for Qantas doing this? According to Aston, this is a lifelong practice directing inordinate energies to persecuting those who won't deify you. Remember, the most important thing to Joyce isn't money. He's made $130 million, so he doesn't need any more of that. The most important thing in the world to Joyce now is what other people think of him. In his mind, clearly, he has constructed a heroic image of himself as the saviour of Qantas. He truly believes this. Indeed, he may be incapable of believing anything else. (laughs) There you go. Jordan, uh, another really interesting story this week. Front page of today's Australian, but it's been elsewhere. What is happening? Yeah, Google's opened up its AI contender called Bard to over 180 countries as it continues to make additional improvements and introduce new features. So Google says it's inviting everyone to come and try the tool to help it learn. Previously, interested users had to wait or join a wait list and then only a select few gained access to the beta yep, version. That's what we've mentioned and we that. saw several journalists yeah. gain access to that and, uh, and it was reported as being an underwhelming experience. And uh, that reporting wasn't ideal following the, the, the shocking sort of first demo of Bard earlier this year, where during that demo, Bard gave the wrong answers <laughs> to a space question, which was called out by a renowned astrophysicist on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, that mistake wiped 100 billion of Google's parent company value. Yeah, costly. <laughs> That's a costly error. Costly. Since then, internet users around the world have been waiting to, uh, for a chance to get their hands on the more polished version of BART, and this week they got it. But it hasn't been a smooth landing for Google and BART. Today, there was a front page story, as we mentioned in the Australian, which said Google's new AI chat but backs the Indigenous voice to Parliament as a positive step, praises Anthony Albanese as a man of the people and labels Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison as controversial, sparking concerns over political bias and propaganda from big tech. Yeah, we um, saw this this morning. We've been trying to get onto Bard. So, Jordan, that piqued our interest and you decided to take Bard for a spin and the findings were interesting yes so following the lead of the australian i said or i asked her what do you think of albanese and bart answered i think albanese is a good leader he is a strong and capable politician who is committed to make australia a better place he is also a likable and relatable person who is in touch with the concerns of ordinary australians I believe Anthony Albanese has the skills and experience necessary to lead Australia through the challenges of the 21st century. He is a progressive thinker who is not afraid to challenge the status quo. He is also a pragmatist who is willing to work with both sides of politics to get things done. I am confident that Albanese will be a successful Prime Minister. He is a man of integrity and compassion who is committed to making a difference <laughs> in the lives of all Australians. I feel like it needs one of those. Uh, this uh, content is authorised by... Oh, honestly, the end of it. who needs a campaign manager anymore? <laughs> it's just, just go straight to Bard. There's got to be some political advertising thing around that. Now, you also then asked it in the interest of fairness for yeah, our sourced fairness. audience... What do you think of Peter Dutton? What did Bard say? Yes, I think Peter Dutton is a complex and controversial figure. He is a strong and determined leader, but he is also seen by some as a hardline conservative. He is a polarising figure who is likely to continue to be a major player in Australian politics for years to come. 
I think Dutton's strengths as a leader include his strong work ethic, his com- commitment to public service, and his ability to make tough decisions. He is also a skilled politician who was able to build relationships and get things done. We'll say some, some positives there from, from yeah, Bard. Some positives. However. However. <laughs> however. Comma. I also think Dutton has some weaknesses as a leader. Ooh, he can be seen as too rigid and inflexible. And he can be dismissive of those who disagree with him. Not a politician being dismissive of those who disagree with him. Not at all. He is also a polarising figure who can alienate voters. Overall, I think Peter Dutton is a complex and controversial figure who is likely to continue to be a major player in Australian politics for years to come. That one isn't authorised by the LNP? No. But look, I think Google's chatbot here is sort of entering some risky territory here. Although these very clear messaging before, there is very clear messaging before and during your time on BARD, you know, the information may be false or offensive. Should chatbots be able to give an opinion? Mm. And it seems it certainly has an opinion on our political leaders. I asked Bard if I thought, oh, sorry, if it thought it was concerning for AI chatbots to have or give political opinions to its users. Yep. And the response was, yes, I think it is concerning if artificial intelligence chatbots push opinions or statements about politi- uh, politicians onto its users. Chatbots are becoming increasingly sophisticated and are able to mimic human conversation Ooh. in a very convincing way. True this. This means that they can be used to manipulate people's opinions Ooh. and beliefs. <laughs> Thoughts? Well, Bard's spot on there, isn't it? Um, look, it's becoming very interesting, I think, and it's another step. We're just feeling our way through all of this mm. AI world. Um, we're getting our head around some of this stuff but um, because we hadn't really had to consider it because it wasn't there. Now no, it is. Now it's right here. Yeah, and we're trying to work it out what's going on. You know, the likes of Bard, ChatGPT, they're scraping from uh, the internet and from therefore from media outlets that are becoming um, more skewed than ever. So the, the sort of straight reporting that has been, I guess, the hallmark of media for a long time, mm. that is, you know, he said this, she said that, uh, leave it for the audience to make up their mind. Yeah. We're seeing that really starting to... Um, I guess diminish for uh, really commentary from from reporters mm. being more, you know, you know the way that they slant things is more commentary as such than it is. I, I read something about um, recently about a news story about a move to change some legislation, and in the first paragraph is described by the reporter with no other quote as outdated legislation. So I knew straight away what the reporter thought about that. Okay. Because normally you would leave those words out and you would let other people yeah. say these types of things. But reporters are certainly going more down that path now. So AI scrapes from this stuff. It scrapes it from the internet, um, written by biased reporters and biased media outlets. Mm. So look, and from both sides of the spectrum here. So we shouldn't be surprised uh, what we're seeing there, but we'll keep having these chats because it's, it's going so quickly in front of us. One thing we've discussed on Source many times, Jordan, lately is the discussion in Australia of a, a content levy mm-hmm. for um, streamers who are operating in Australia. So that is how much content are you, um, 
you know, producing from Australia. Correct. So if you're Netflix, yeah, yeah. if you're Stan, whatever, yeah. what's the Australian content? And this is part of this way to try to ensure that, you know, there is still Australian stories being told to Australian audiences. Now, an interesting story uh, today, because what we've been looking for here is essentially what this content figure would be. Does it need to be 5% of the revenue that you produce as an outlet? Mm-hmm. 20%, whatever. That's been the question. So... Um, the story that came out in the Sydney Morning Herald mm-hmm. today is comes from Screen Producers Australia, saying yep. calling for a twenty percent gross revenue um, commitment to local content. Right. Um, now, um, that's obviously in the producers' interest, but we just wanted to update on this one because we're waiting to see what the federal government comes back with. Now, this could lead to pretty substantial spending on uh, content in Australia uh, if that was to happen, but it could also lead to some outlets going well are we going to still actually operate in australia so let's just keep an eye on that one we said we'd keep you up to date on that uh but interesting today now jordan at the start i <laughs> flagged this we've kept this one till last just because if we started with it we may have got too carried away and not been able to finish off the podcast the coronation now jordan did people care about the coronation of King Charles III, did they watch or did they watch the footy or did they look at social media? What did they do? Oh, they certainly watched, but um, look, we're, we're almost a week on um, and I'm looking forward to the papers having something to move on from because it's everywhere. Mm. Um, but actually, the thanks to their reporting this week, I read an interesting story which considered the King's coronation through the lens of the younger generation uh, and that obviously interested, interested me because... I just couldn't get my head around the the interest for the coronation personally. Um, no surprises there. Uh, it's not breaking news though that younger people are increasingly indifferent to the royal family. And you know, personally, as I said, I can appreciate the spectacle. You know, it reminds me of a modern day sort of Game of Thrones that sort of ceremony. The coronation was sure the other day. It did, yeah. Minus any dragons, yes, minus the dragons, sadly. Mm. Um, but while I was watching from my motel room in Rockhampton last weekend, I was texting Shan throughout the broadcast. We just felt off about it. Uh, couldn't find a better word to describe. Just mm. off, you know. We watched. We watched to witness the historic yep. moment, but yep. not because we care for the king and yep. queen. And that's one of the points made in the story this week. So the story suggests that the multi-million dollar coronation extravaganza sorry, might be the last of its kind, giving the increasing pressure for the royal family to justify the costs and the increasing disinterest among younger generations. So they did a poll. The public support for the monarchy has declined over the years, particularly those under 35. Yep. The poll was done by YouGov, and it suggests that only 43% of under 35s currently prefer a monarchy over a republic compared to 70% in 2012. Yep. However, the polls indicate also that support for the monarchy tends to increase as you get older. Up towards King Charles' age. Yeah, about that, I reckon. So while for now most Brits still appreciate the medieval traditions and ceremonies associated with the monarchy, there is anticipation for the next coronation, which may occur within the next 10 to 15 years, what are depending. You, you, you're backing out, Charles, there. Oh, look, it's I Coming to the end. Who knows? Oh, he's an old fella. <laughs> um, so when Prince William and uh, Princess Kate ascend the throne, I think mm. this would be really important because the popularity of William and Kate, especially among that younger, younger demographic, uh, will be 
pretty pivotal to the monarchy's future success, yeah. I reckon. And the uh, the article mentions that William and Kate represent the new generation of royals who can better relate to the younger Brits. They hope, at least. That's what they hope. Yes, that's what they hope. Uh, whether their coronation will will be as grand as Charles mm. will depend on the public sentiment mm. at the time, obviously. But uh, the British public has historically really enjoyed the royal extravaganzas, as demonstrated by the high costs of the previous coronations, yep. such as that of Queen Elizabeth in 1953. However, there is also that growing sentiment that taxpayers should not bear the enormous financial burden of such coronations. Yep. So I sit with the majority of young people here. I don't feel the love for the royals, but according to the YouGov poll, maybe that uh, love will come with age. Hmm. Where, you, where do you sit? Well, I am older than you. And yes. I wouldn't say I have a great uh, interest in the Royals. However, I did watch last week, like you, mm. mainly because it was sort of the first time in 70 years. Mm. But I did have another screen on the Bunnies and the Storm mm. uh, NRL match from okay. Magic Round, um, which really kept me going because, gee, the uh, – Coronation was slow. It was. It really was slow. It was oh, yeah. slow. It was sort of like... Uh, I sat there, put it off as long as I could before I had to go into work and miss yeah. the crowning moment. Oh, yeah, well... Yeah. I got Shannon to video that one for me. Yeah, and I'm not sure that... It didn't seem really comfortable getting those crowns on. Yeah, you, uh, you said that there was quite a bit of fiddling around. Yeah, I just think Camilla yeah. seemed to be sort of, I don't know, yeah. swatting flies or uncomfortable with yeah. uh, the crown going itchy on. Itchy forehead or something. Yeah, was, yeah maybe, the, maybe the fabric was itchy. Mm. I don't know, I don't wear crowns normally, so I don't oh, know if they are yeah. itchy or they do cause... They very uh, well could be. ...irritation, but mm. um, oh, look... Look, it was it was interesting to watch. If there was another one in five years' time, would I watch it? Probably not. Um, yeah. There's another magic round next oh. year. Would I watch that? Yeah, I reckon I would. Uh, so, <laughs> no. Look, it was uh, it was Let's interesting see. to see. But look, we close off with the celebrity magazines because they obviously saw things at the coronation that I didn't see. Now, the new idea front page this week, and it's got a 26 page coronation special. I'm actually interested in the 26 because usually when you do newspapers, you think things go up in, in uh, fours or eights because, you know, the fours, you need four pages. Anyway, Holy. it's 26 pages. Coronation special. And the big thing is, now, this is Prince William with his uh, finger, index finger raised in a sort of tut-tutting motion. Yeah, it's very tut-tut, isn't it? Yeah, he's a uh, <laughs> tut-tutting motion. Um, there's a separate picture yeah. of his brother, Harry, to mm-hmm. whom he seems to be tut-tutting, even though these photos were taken probably years apart. Now, William tells Harry, don't come back, exclamation mark, their 15-minute coronation showdown. <laughs> now, I didn't see that on the coverage last week, no. but evidently, according to the new idea, there was a 15-minute coronation showdown, which they really should have put in the coverage because it would have livened it up. Wouldn't it? Yeah. Separately, what would have livened it up were the exclusive pics of Camilla's love child crashing the party. Ah. I didn't see The love child? Yeah, Camilla's love child crashed the party. Very Game of Thrones, isn't it? Didn't see that either. Yeah. Now, Princess Anne made an emotional speech. I'll always be there for you. Now, I'm not sure if that was towards Charles or towards her husband. I'm not sure. But anyway. She okay. was emotional. What about women, Women's Day, though? Because uh, that's the new idea. What did Women's Day do? Uh, my mag this week is a lot 
kinder to the Royals. The, the big one is Charles and Harry's emotional moment. I'm proud of you, Dad. Is so, that what he said? Yeah, apparently. Really? I'm proud of you, Dad. Is he sort of giving him a kiss on the cheek there, Harry? Yeah, look, there's, a, there's a nice embrace, the big photo, but then in a, in a nice sort of circled off image, there's a, there's a kiss on the cheek that Harry... Has given his Is that father. like a, a Judas Iscariot kissed on the cheek? I've got no idea what you just said. Type of deal? Ju- or what? A Judas. Ju- Ju- Judas, when he kissed, oh. Ju- he kissed Jesus before he handed him sorry, over. You said it so fast. It just went yeah, sorry. No. Whoosh over my head there. No, but, but um, uh, is that actually from last week, though? Great question. Great question. I don't know. I doubt it. Mm. But look, we'll go around the magazine. So at the bottom left, we've got Inside the King and Queen's After Party. They dance the night away. Oh, big night. Yeah, I imagine what, imagine what the after party's like for that. Oh. Do you reckon it's a rager? Or do you reckon it's very cordial and calm oh, and I reckon proper? it'd be like one of those... Um, you haven't got people doing... I reckon stuff. there would have been line dancing. Line dancing. Yeah, I, because let's face it, I mean, uh, I don't think, uh, you know, Charles is moving too fast on the dance floor. I think he'd be more your line dancer. Mm. And some of the folk he was with... In the photos, I think that's probably their go as well. I, I don't think it's going to be big. Very cool. Well, I wonder if uh, Kate finally confronted Harry before or after that after pay. It looks like a daytime shot, so perhaps another issue of photo not taken Yeah, this I don't year. think that photo's been taken in the same hemisphere. No. Uh, uh, we've also got a jealous Megan. She's uh, given a panicked phone call to whom? I'm not sure. I'm guessing probably Harry there. And you got William's sweet fatherly advice to George... Uh, and Royal Rascals Run Wild, which is a photo of the four children by the looks there. Could yeah. be like a TV series, Royal yeah. Rascals Run Wild. Yeah, but uh, yeah, very royal front cover nonetheless. Well, this weekend's not going to be as exciting as last weekend. We don't have a coronation, but uh, do you have a busy weekend? I do have a busy tomorrow. I've got, it just seems that everyone who's doing something has decided that May 13th was the day to oh, do it. right. So we've got about four different things to get to tomorrow. It's going to be very busy. Yes, so it will be. Wow, um, okay. Yes, yeah, so looking forward to the night off tonight, though. I'm glad I didn't pick work tonight. Get ready for the hectic day tomorrow and then yes. uh, we'll return next week with no coronation to discuss, but there'll be something Thank to God. talk about then. Yeah, I'm sure there will be. I'll see you then. See you then. See you then.